0: Chapter 4 of Marcia Schuyler by Grace Livingston Hill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 4 The wedding was set for ten o'clock in the morning, after which there was to be a wedding breakfast, and the married couple were to start immediately for their new home. David had driven the day before with his own horse and chaise to a town some twenty miles away, and there left his horse at a tavern to rest for the return trip for kate would have it that they must leave the house in high style so the finest equipage the town afforded had been secured to bear them on the first stage of their journey with a portly negro driver and everything according to the custom of the greatest of the land nothing that kate desired about the arrangements had been left undone the household was fully astir by half-past four for the family breakfast was to be at six promptly that all might be cleared away and in readiness for the early arrival of the various aunts and uncles and cousins and friends who would drive over from the country round about it would have been something madame schuyler would never have been able to get over if aught had been awry when a single uncle or aunt appeared upon the scene or if there seemed to be the least evidence of fluster and nervousness the rosy sunlight in the east was mixing the morning with fresher air and new odours for the new day that was dawning when Marcia awoke. The sharp click of spoons and dishes, the voices of the maids, the sizzle, sputter, odour of frying ham and eggs, mingled with the early chorus of the birds, and calling to life of all living creatures like an intrusion upon nature. It seemed not right to steal the morning's quiet hour thus rudely. The thought flitted through the girl's mind, and in an instant more, The whole panorama of the day's excitement was before her, and she sprang from her bed. As if it had been her own wedding day instead of her sister's, she performed her dainty toilet, for though there was need for haste, she knew she would have no further time, beyond a moment, to slip on her best gown and smooth her hair. Marcia hurried downstairs just as the bell rang for breakfast, and David, coming down smiling behind her, patted her cheek, and greeted her with, "'Well, little sister, you look as rested "'as if you had not done a thing all day yesterday.' "'She smiled shyly back at him, "'and her heart filled with pleasure over his new name for her. "'It sounded pleasantly from his happy lips. "'She was conscious of a gladness "'that he was to be so nearly related to her. "'She fancied how it would seem to say to Marianne, "'My brother-in-law says so-and-so.' It would be grand to call such a man brother. They were all seated at the table, but Kate and Squire Schuyler waited with pleasantly frowning brows to ask the blessing of the morning food. Kate was often late. She was the only member of the family who dared to be late to breakfast, and being the bride and the centre of the occasion, more leniency was granted her this morning than ever before. Madame Schuyler waited until everyone at the table was served to ham and eggs, coffee and bread and butter, and steaming griddle-cakes, before she said, looking anxiously at the tall clock, "Marcia, perhaps you better go up and see if your sister needs any help. She ought to be down by now. Uncle Joab and Aunt Polly will be sure to be here by eight. She must have overslept, but we made so much noise she is surely awake by this time.' Marcia left her half-eaten breakfast and went slowly upstairs. She knew her sister would not welcome her, for she had often been sent on like errands before, and the brunt of Kate's anger had fallen upon the hapless messenger, wearing itself out there, so that she might descend all smiles to greet father and mother and smooth off the situation in a most harmonious manner. Marcia paused before the door to listen. Perhaps Kate was nearly ready, and her distasteful errand need not be performed. But though she held her breath to listen, no sound came from the closed door. Very softly she tried to lift the latch and peep in. Kate must still be asleep. It was not the first time Marcia had found that to be the case when sent to bring her sister. But the latch would not lift. The catch was firmly down from the inside. Marcia applied her eye to the keyhole, but could get no vision save a dim outline of the window on the other side of the room. She tapped gently once or twice and waited again, then called softly, Kate, Kate, wake up! Breakfast is ready and everybody is eating, Aunt Polly and Uncle Joab will soon be here. She repeated her tapping and calling, growing louder as she received no answer. Kate would often keep still to tease her thus. Surely, though, she would not do so upon her wedding morning. She called and called and shook the door, not daring, however, to make much of an uproar, lest David should hear. She could not bear he should know the shortcomings of his bride. But at last she grew alarmed. Perhaps Kate was ill. At any rate, whatever it was, it was time she was up. She worked for some minutes trying to loosen the catch that held the latch, but all to no purpose. She was forced to go downstairs and whisper to her stepmother the state of the case. Madame Schuyler, excusing herself from the table, went upstairs, purposeful decision in every line of her substantial body, determination in every sound of her footfall. Bride though she be, Kate would have meted out to her just dues this time company and a lover and the nearness of the wedding hour were things not to be trifled with even by a charming kate but madame schuyler returned in a short space of time puffing and panting somewhat short of breath and colour in her face she looked troubled and she interrupted the squire without waiting for him to finish his sentence to david i cannot understand what is the matter with kate she said looking at her husband SHE DOES NOT SEEM TO BE AWAKE, AND I CANNOT GET HER DOOR OPEN. SHE SLEEPS SOUNDLY, AND I SUPPOSE THE UNUSUAL EXCITEMENT HAS MADE HER VERY TIRED. BUT I SHOULD THINK SHE OUGHT TO HEAR MY VOICE. PERHAPS YOU BETTER SEE IF YOU CAN OPEN THE DOOR. THERE WAS STUDIED CALM IN HER VOICE, BUT HER FACE BELIED HER WORDS. SHE WAS ANXIOUS lest KATE WAS PLAYING ONE OF HER PRANKS. SHE KNEW KATE'S CARELESS, FUN-LOVING WAYS. It was more to her that all things should move decently and in order than that Kate should even be perfectly well. But Marcia's white face behind her stepmother's ample shoulder showed a dread of something worse than a mere indisposition. David Spafford took alarm at once. He put down the silver syrup-jug, from which he had been pouring golden maple syrup on his cakes, and pushed his chair back with a click. Perhaps she has fainted, he said, and Marcia saw how deeply he was concerned. Father and lover both started upstairs, the father angry, the lover alarmed. The squire grumbled all the way up that Kate should sleep so late, but David said nothing. He waited anxiously behind while the squire worked with the door. Madame Schuyler and Marcia had followed them, and halting curiously just behind came the two maids. They all loved Miss Kate, and were deeply interested in the day's doings. They did not want anything to interfere with the well-planned pageant. The squire fumbled nervously with the latch, all the time calling upon his daughter to open the door, then wrathfully placed his solid shoulder and knee in just the right place, and with a groan and wrench the latch gave way, and the solid oak door swung open, precipitating the anxious group somewhat suddenly into the room almost immediately they all became aware that there was no one there. David stood with averted eyes at first, but that second sense which makes us aware without sight when others are near or absent brought with it an unnamed anxiety. He looked wildly about. The bed had not been slept in, that they all saw at once. The room was in confusion but perhaps not more than might have been expected when the occupant was about to leave on the morrow. There were pieces of paper and string upon the floor and one or two garments lying about as if carelessly cast off in a hurry. David recognized the purple muslin frock Kate had worn the night before and put out his hand to touch it as it lay across the foot of the bed, vainly reaching after her who was not there. They stood in silence, father, mother, sister, and lover, and took in every detail of the deserted room, then looked blankly into one another's white faces, and in the eyes of each a terrible question began to dawn. Where was she? Madame Schuyler recovered her senses first. With her sharp practical system, she endeavored to find out the exact situation. "'Who saw her last?' she asked sharply, looking from one to the other who saw her last has she been downstairs this morning she looked straight at marcia this time but the girl shook her head i went to bed last night before they came in she said looking questioningly at david but a sudden remembrance and fear seized her heart she turned away to the window to face it where they could not look at her we came in early said david trying to keep the anxiety out of his voice as he remembered his well-beloved's good-night. Surely, surely nothing very dreadful could have happened just overnight, and in her father's own house. He looked about again to see the natural, every day, little things that would help him drive away the thoughts of possible tragedy. Kate was tired. She said she was going to get up very early this morning and wash her face in the dew on the grass. He braved a smile and looked about on the troubled group. "'She must be out somewhere upon the place,' he continued, gathering courage with the thought. "'She told me it was an old superstition. "'She has maybe wandered further than she intended, and perhaps got into some trouble. "'I'd better go and search for her. "'Is there any place near where she would be likely to be?' "'He turned to Marcia for help. "'But Kate would never delay so long, I'm sure,' said the stepmother severely, She's not such a fool as to go traipsing through the wet grass before daylight for any nonsense. If it were Marcia now, you might expect anything, but Kate would be satisfied with the dew on the grass by the kitchen pump. I know Kate. Marcia's face crimsoned at her stepmother's words, but she turned her troubled eyes to David and tried to answer him. There are plenty of places, but Kate has never cared to go to them. "'I could go out and look everywhere.' "'She started to go down, but as she passed the wide mahogany bureau, "'she saw a bit of folded paper lying under the corner of the pincushion. "'With a smothered exclamation, she went over and picked it up. "'It was addressed to David in Kate's handwriting, "'Fine and even like copper plate. "'Without a word, Marcia handed it to him, "'and then stood back where the wide draperies of the window would shadow her.' Madame Schuyler, with sudden keen prescience, took alarm. Noticing the two maids standing wide-mouthed in the hallway, she summoned her most commandatory tone, stepped into the hall, half-closing the door behind her, and cowed the two handmaidens under her glance. "'It is all right,' she said calmly. "'Miss Kate has left a note and will soon return. Go down and keep her breakfast warm, and not a word to a soul.' Dolly, Debbie, do you understand? Not a word of this. Now hurry, and do all that I told you before breakfast. They went with downcast eyes and disappointed droops to their mouths, but she knew that not a word would pass their lips. They knew that if they disobeyed that command, they need never hope for favor more from Madame. Madame's word was law, she would be obeyed. Therefore, with remarkable discretion, they masked their wondering looks and did as they were bidden so while the family stood in solemn conclave in kate's room the preparations for the wedding moved steadily forward below stairs and only two solemn maids of all the helpers that morning knew that a tragedy was hovering in the air and might burst about them david had grasped for the letter eagerly and fumbled it open with trembling hand but as he read The smile of expectation froze upon his lips, and his face grew ashen. He tottered and grasped for the mantel-shelf to steady himself as he read further. But he did not seem to take in the meaning of what he read. The others waited breathless a reasonable length of time, Madame Schuyler impatiently patient. She felt that long delay would be perilous to her arrangements. She ought to know the whole truth at once, and be put in command of the situation. Marcia, with sorrowful face and drooping eyelashes, stood quiet behind the curtain, while over and over the echo of a horse's hoofs in a distant street and over a bridge sounded in her brain. She did not need to be told, she knew intuitively what had happened, and she dared not look at David. "'Well, what has she done with herself?' said the squire impatiently, He had not finished his plate of cakes, and now that there was word, he wanted to know it at once and go back to his breakfast. The sight of his daughter's handwriting relieved and reassured him. Some crazy thing she had done, of course, but then Kate had always done queer things, and probably would to the end of time. She was a hussy to frighten them so, and he meant to tell her so when she returned, if it was her wedding day. But then Kate would be Kate, and his breakfast was getting cold. He had his horses to look after, and orders to give to the hands before the early guests arrived. But David did not answer, and the sight of him was alarming. He stood as one stricken dumb all in a moment. He raised his eyes to the squires, pleading pitiful. His face had grown strained and haggard. "'Speak out, man, doesn't the letter tell?' said the squire imperiously, Where is the girl? And this time David managed to say brokenly, She's gone, and then his head dropped forward on his cold hand that rested on the mantel. Great beads of perspiration stood out upon his white forehead, and the letter fluttered gaily, coquettishly, to the floor, a reminder of the uncertain ways of its writer. The squire reached for it impatiently, and wiping his spectacles laboriously put them on and drew near to the window to read his heavy brows lowering in a frown but his wife did not need to read the letter for she like marcia had divined its purport and already her able faculties were marshalled to face the predicament the squire with deepening frown was studying his elder daughter's letter scarce able to believe the evidence of his senses that a girl of his could be so heartless. Dear David, the letter ran, written as though in a hurry, done at the last moment, which indeed it was, I want you to forgive me for what I'm doing. I know you will feel bad about it, but really I never was the right one for you. I'm sure you thought me all too good, and I never could have stayed in a straitjacket. It would have killed me. I shall always consider you the best man in the world, and I like you better than any one else except Captain Leavenworth. I can't help it, you know, that I care more for him than any one else, though I've tried. So I am going away to-night, and when you read this we shall have been married. You are so very good that I know you will forgive me and be glad I am happy. Don't think hardly of me, for I always did care a great deal for you. Your loving Kate it was characteristic of kate that she demanded the love and loyalty of her betrayed lover to the bitter end false and heartless though she had been the coquette in her played with him even now in the midst of the bitter pain she must have known she was inflicting no word of contrition spoke she but took her deed as one of her prerogatives just as she had always taken everything she chose she did not even spare him the loving salutation that had been her custom in her letters to him, but wrote herself down as she would have done the day before, when all was fair and dear between them. She did not hint at any better day for David, or give him permission to forget her, but held him for all time as her own, as she had known she would by those words of hers, I like you better than any one else except. Ah, that fatal except! Could any knife cut deeper and more ways? They sank into the young man's heart as he stood there those first few minutes and faced his trouble, his head bowed upon the mantelpiece. Meantime, Madame Schuyler's keen vision had spied another folded paper beside the pincushion. Smaller it was than the other, and evidently intended to be placed further out of sight. It was addressed to Kate's father, and her stepmother opened it and read it with hard pressure of her thin lips, slanted down at the corners and a steely look in her eyes. Was it possible that the girl, even in the midst of her treachery, had enjoyed with a sort of malicious glee the thought of her stepmother reading that note and facing the horror of a wedding party with no bride? Knowing her stepmother's vast resources, did she not think that at last she had brought her to a situation to which she was unequal? There had always been this unseen, unspoken struggle for supremacy between them, though it had been a friendly one, a sort of testing on the girl's part of the powers and expedience of the woman, with a kind of vast admiration mingled with amusement, but no fear for the stepmother, who had been uniformly kind and loving toward her, and for whom she cared, perhaps as much as she could have cared for her own mother. The other note read, Dear Father, I am going away to-night to marry Captain Leavenworth. You wouldn't let me have him in the right way, so I had to take this. I tried very hard to forget him and get interested in David, but it was no use. You couldn't stop it. So now I hope you will see it the way we do and forgive us. We are going to Washington, and you can write us there and say you forgive us, and then we will come home. I know you will forgive us, Daddy dear. You know you always loved your little Kate, and you couldn't really want me to be unhappy. Please send my trunks to Washington. I've tacked the card with the address on the ends. Your loving little girl, Kate. There was a terrible stillness in the room, broken only by the crackling of paper as the notes were turned in the hands of their readers. Marcia felt as if centuries were passing. David's soul was pierced by one awful thought. He had no room for others she was gone. Life was a blank for him, stretching out into interminable years. Of her treachery and false-heartedness in doing what she had done, in the way she had done it, he had no time to take account. That would come later. Now he was trying to understand this one awful fact. Madame Schuyler handed the second note to her husband, and with set lips quickly skimmed through the other one as she read indignation rose within her and a great desire to outwit everybody if it had been possible to bring the erring girl back and make her face her disgraced wedding alone madame schuyler would have been glad to do it she knew that upon her would likely rest all the rearrangements and her ready brain was already taking account of her servants and the number of messages that would have to be sent out to stop the guests from arriving She waited impatiently for her husband to finish reading that she might consult with him as to the best message to send, but she was scarcely prepared for the burst of anger that came with the finish of the letters. The old man crushed his daughter's note in his hand and flung it from him. He had great respect and love for David, and the sight of him broken in grief, the deed of his daughter, roused in him a mighty indignation. His voice shook but there was a deep note of command in it that made Madame Schuyler step aside and wait. The squire had arisen to the situation, and she recognized her lord and master. "'She must be brought back at once at all costs,' he exclaimed. "'That rascal will not outwit us. Fool that I was to trust him in the house. Tell the men to saddle the horses. They cannot have gone far yet, and there are not so many roads to Washington.' We may yet overtake them, and married or unmarried, the hussy shall be here for her wedding. But David raised his head from the mantel-shelf and steadied his voice. No, no, you must not do that, father. The appellative came from his lips almost tenderly, as if he had long considered the use of it with pleasure, and now he spoke it as a tender bond meant to comfort. The older man started and his face softened. A flash of understanding and love passed between the two men. Remember, she has said she loves someone else. She could never be mine now. There was a terrible sadness in the words as David spoke them, and his voice broke. Madame Schuyler turned away and took out her handkerchief, an article of apparel for which she seldom had use except as it belonged to every well-ordered toilet. The father stood looking hopelessly at David and taking in the thought. Then he, too, bowed his head and groaned. "'And my daughter, my little Kate, has done it!' Marcia covered her face with the curtains, and her tears fell fast. David went and stood beside the squire and touched his arm. "'Don't,' he said pleadingly. "'You could not help it. "'It was not your fault. "'Do not take it so to heart.' BUT IT IS MY DISGRACE, I HAVE BROUGHT UP A CHILD WHO COULD DO IT, I CANNOT ESCAPE FROM THAT, IT IS THE MOST DISHONORABLE THING A WOMAN CAN DO, AND LOOK HOW SHE HAS DONE IT, BROUGHT SHAME UPON US ALL, HERE WE HAVE A WEDDING ON OUR HANDS, AND LITTLE OR NO TIME TO DO ANYTHING, I HAVE LIVED IN HONOR ALL MY LIFE, AND NOW TO BE DISGRACED BY MY OWN DAUGHTER. Marcia SHUDDERED AT HER FATHER'S AGONY, SHE COULD NOT BEAR IT LONGER with a soft cry she went to him and nestled her head against his breast unnoticed father father don't she cried but her father went on without seeming to see her to be disgraced and deserted and dishonored by my own child something must be done send the servants let the wedding be stopped he looked at madame and she started toward the door to carry out his bidding but he recalled her immediately no stay he cried it is too late to stop them all let them come let them be told let the disgrace rest upon the one to whom it belongs madame stopped in consternation a wedding without a bride yet she knew it was a serious thing to try to dispute with her husband in that mood she paused to consider oh father exclaimed marcia we couldn't think of david Her words seemed to touch the right chord, for he turned toward the young man, intense, tender pity in his face. Yes, David, we are forgetting David. We must do all we can to make it easier for you. You will be wanting to get away from us as quickly as possible. How can we manage it for you, and where will you go? You will not want to go home just yet? He paused, a new agony of the knowledge of David's part coming to him no i cannot go home said david helplessly a look of keen pain darting across his face for the house will be all ready for her and the table set the friends will be coming in and we are invited to dinner and tea everywhere they will all be coming to the house my friends to welcome us no i cannot go home then he passed his hand over his forehead blindly and added in a stupefied tone and yet I must, sometime, I must go home. End of chapter 4